Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Killer Instinct and welcome back to episode four of Hollow Week. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah and this is Killer Instinct. If you are unfamiliar with what Hollow Week is, Hollow Week is the best time of the year. It is the one time a year where we here on Killer Instinct report five cases back to back on the five days leading up to Halloween. We did Hollow Week last year, and we are carrying on the tradition this year as well. You guys love Hollow Week. I love it. It's a great way to spread awareness on more cases and really get into the Halloween spirit. Before we get into it, I just want to remind you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. We post weekly here on Killer Instinct every single Wednesday, and you are not going to want to miss it, so make sure you hit that subscribe button. That way, you are notified whenever we upload. So we have a pretty long case today, so I'm not going to waste too much time on an intro, so let's just jump right on into it. So today we are talking about Chelsea Brooke. Chelsea was born on January 28th, 1992 in Trenton, Michigan. She was born to her parents, Leanda and Matt Brooke. Chelsea was the youngest of five children, so she had four older siblings, and they all grew up in a town called Maybe, Michigan. I just love that name. I think it's brilliant. But Maybe is a very small town. There was about 600 people in Maybe in 2018. And after growing up in such a small town, Chelsea was ready to start the next chapter of her life that contained new adventure. She was eager to have some excitement in her life after coming from a small farm town. Now, some people, when they grow up in a small town like that, find comfort in the familiarity with it and they want to stay in a small town. However, Chelsea was not like that. So she was very excited when her family decided to move again to a different part of Michigan called Monroe County. It still was a smaller farm town. However, it didn't have the 600 population that maybe did. Chelsea was described by her friends and family as just a nice, friendly, and wholesome girl. She was the baby of the family, and once you get to being the last of five kids, her parents were definitely a little bit more lenient on her. However, she just shined. She loved her parents, she loved her siblings, and she really was getting to a point in her life where she was excited about her future. So now we move on to 2004. 14, and Chelsea was 22 years old at this point. And she was very, very excited because she was going to be going to a Halloween party this year. Now, something to know about Chelsea is that she loved Halloween. Halloween was one of her favorite times of the year, and she absolutely loved dressing up for it and just getting in the full spirit of Halloween. So Chelsea was really looking forward to going to this party, and this was not your typical average house party. This was a huge huge party. It was called Big Mike's Halloween Bash that was going to be held on October 25th, 2014. Chelsea was planning on going to this party with a co-worker of hers named Becky as well as another friend of hers named Penny. So they were all going to go together and Becky and Chelsea worked together at a restaurant called Olga's Kitchen. Now in terms of Big Mike's party, 
Becky said that everyone knew that Big Mike had the best Halloween parties. He had the biggest Halloween parties, and Big Mike was a guy who made heavy metal music. So he had a band, and Big Mike is what he liked to call himself. It's what everyone called him. Now, Big Mike lived on a farm with his mom, and he had had these parties for years. This is very much a tradition for him. Everyone knew that Big Mike held the Halloween parties, and nothing bad ever happened at them, so no one had any reason to believe that anything bad would happen on the Halloween party in 2014. Now, Becky and Chelsea decided that they were going to be Batman villains going to this party and that Chelsea was going to dress up as Poison Ivy. Now, Chelsea was super dedicated to her costume. She made it all herself and had been working on it for months. Because she was dressing up as Poison Ivy, she took a green bodysuit and personally sewed on each artificial leaf to the bodysuit. She also wore a dark red maroon wig, and according to Becky, Chelsea was really, really proud of the costume that she came up with. So October 25th comes up, the night of the party, and this party had two giant tents set up outside for people to pack into. Like I said, it was on a piece of farmland, so there was a lot of space for people to roam around, and it was reported that about 700 people attended this party. There were eight different heavy metal bands that were lined up to play here, including Big Mike's band called The Pickaxe Preacher. So Bucky and Chelsea were at the party, and like I said, they went with another friend of theirs as well, a girl named Penny Watkins. Penny was 10 years older than Chelsea, but the two of them were incredibly, incredibly close, according to Penny. Penny said that the two of them were attached at the hip. So now it was about 1 a.m., and the girls decided that it was time to go, and the plan was that prior to the party, Penny would drive Chelsea home. This was the plan that they made before they got there on how they were going to leave. You go to the party together, you leave the party together. However, sometime around 1 a.m., Chelsea ended up getting lost from the other girls. Becky and Penny couldn't find Chelsea, and Becky had actually been holding on to Chelsea's phone the whole night because Chelsea's costume didn't have any pockets, so they had no way of calling her. And you can imagine a 700-person party. It's not going to be easy to try and find her. It's getting late. It's cold outside. People have been drinking. It's just not a good circumstance to try and find someone. Now, according to Penny, her sister, who had also been at the party with them, had to work early the next morning at about 6 o'clock a.m., and because it was getting late, they decided that they needed to leave right then and there, even though they didn't know where Chelsea was. So Penny and Becky left Chelsea behind at this party, thinking that she would just find her way home a different way. Penny said that she figured that Chelsea would just get a ride home from someone else at the party, and that she knew other people there, so she didn't have any reason to be concerned about it. To this day, however, Penny and Becky both said that this is the biggest mistake that they have ever 
made. Now, the day following the party on the 26th of October was a Sunday, and when Becky woke up, she still had Chelsea's cell phone. So she decided to call Chelsea's mom to tell her that she had Chelsea's phone and that Chelsea could just come get it anytime she needed to whenever she woke up that day. However, it wasn't until later that night that Becky heard anything back, and when she did, she got a message from Chelsea's sister on Facebook telling her that Chelsea never actually made it home from the party the night prior. Now, Becky's first thought was maybe instead of going home, Chelsea just went to another friend's house instead and could have been sleeping off a hangover, so she still didn't think too much into it until the following day, Monday, when still no one had heard from Chelsea. This is when the panic started to set in. When Chelsea's family didn't hear from her by Monday, they started contacting everyone that they knew. They filed a missing persons report for Chelsea as well as contacted her friends and Big Mike. Now let's talk about Big Mike for a second. So we said that he has a heavy metal band. However, Big Mike's real name, obviously it's not Big Mike. His real name is Mike Williams. And the farm that he had his party on, like I said, was his mother's farm that he basically grew up on his entire life. Now, according to Mike, he said that on that Monday after his party, he started receiving Facebook messages from people asking if he knew where Chelsea was. Now, Mike said at first that he didn't even really know who Chelsea was to begin with because there were just so many people at that party. However, because of the overwhelming amount of messages that Mike was getting, he decided to take his dog and start walking around his property to see if he could find anything. And according to Mike, he said him and his dog walked several miles before his dog's foot actually got stuck on a fox trap. So because of that, his dog's foot was bleeding and the two of them walked back to the house to get his dog fixed up. And when they got back to the house, Mike said he was met with Chelsea's mom and a group of others who showed up to look for Chelsea. Now, according to Mike, he said that he definitely felt that from the beginning, he was being suspected of having something to do with Chelsea's disappearance because the last time she was seen was on his property. He said that Chelsea's mom asked him directly if he was keeping Chelsea in his basement or in his trailer or had her locked up somewhere, which Mike said he took offense to because he was out there helping them look and he had absolutely nothing to do with her disappearance, even though it was on his property, he said that that didn't mean that he was guilty of anything. He said that Chelsea's family immediately set up a tent in an entire camp at his property to look for Chelsea without even ever asking him. However, Mike said he contacted his lawyers to see how he should go about the situation and handle everything, and that's when his lawyers said to just kind of let Chelsea's family do their thing and set up camp for a little bit, and that this would all eventually die down, which is advice Mike said he listened to. Now, regardless of how Mike felt in the beginning, we have seen so many cases where parents are just negligent or seem careless after something happens, and we are sitting here on the edge of our seats wanting to rip our hair out because we think, why wouldn't you do something? So in no way am I going to sit here and say that what Chelsea's family did in being proactive was offensive or that they shouldn't have done that because I know I would have probably 
done the same thing. Now, according to Chelsea's mom, she said that she actually had no idea that Chelsea was going out to this party that night. She said, quote, 22 or not, she would have not been going to a party with 600 people, end quote. And honestly, the size of the party is where the police's problems in the investigation started. Because this party had so many people, police knew that there was no way that they were going to be able to track down every single person who went, which is obviously what they wanted to do, because they wanted to talk to every single person who could have seen Chelsea that night. And another big setback here was that the party wasn't just any party. It was a Halloween party. So everyone there is in some sort of costume. The whole point of Halloween is transforming yourself into something else. So police knew not only would their challenge be to track down the people who talked to Chelsea that night or who saw Chelsea that night, it would also be to try to uncover their true identities as well. Now, when authorities started their investigation, they looked to Chelsea's friends and asked them about Chelsea's dating history. And while Chelsea's friends said that she wasn't dating anyone in particular, she didn't have a boyfriend, there were a couple guys that she was interested in and that she had her eye on. So police started there and looked into those guys that went to the party and they looked into their alibis in great detail and tried to figure out if any of those guys had either picked up Chelsea or if they had someone pick her up and drop them off at their place. They looked into these guys' cell phones, looked into their homes, and even collected some DNA samples from them as well. However, nothing was found there. Now, when continuing their investigation, what police did find was six people who said they saw Chelsea that night and let Chelsea borrow their cell phone to make phone calls because remember, Chelsea's friend Becky had her cell phone that night. Now, Chelsea said that she tried to call two friends, one of which was Penny. And when Penny got this phone call, she said that she was already at home. And when she answered, Chelsea had asked Penny to come back and pick her up. However, Penny said no. Penny told Chelsea that she had drank too much and that it wouldn't be smart of her to drive again, even though she had driven home from the party to begin with. According to Penny, she said that Chelsea didn't seem desperate for a ride, and she didn't seem upset that Penny said no. She actually seemed very understanding. According to authorities, they said that from people who saw Chelsea at the party, however, it seemed like she was extremely upset. She was seen crying, she was telling people she didn't have any friends, and she was complaining that she was cold. Because remember, it's late October, it's going to get a little chilly at night. People have said that despite what her friends have said about Chelsea not being bothered by not having a ride, it was clear that Chelsea was very emotional and upset. Now, a couple days after the party, in the middle of the police investigation, there was actually a woman who called into the authorities. And this woman's son had attended Big Mike's party and told his mom that he remembers seeing Chelsea that night. He said that he remembers it was Chelsea because he talked to her directly about her poison ivy costume and remembers telling her how he was allergic to poison ivy. But this guy said that Chelsea wasn't alone when they were having this conversation. He said that there was another guy standing next to Chelsea, almost as if he was hovering over her. He said that this guy was comforting Chelsea and almost seemed as if the two of them knew each other. 
Now, when asked to give a physical description, the woman's son described this man as a taller and skinnier guy. He had hair that swooped across his face, almost like the early Justin Bieber hair, as well as glasses. And once they were given this description, the son was asked to meet with a sketch artist to come up with a composite sketch. And once police were able to do that, they put the sketch out into the media. Now, the problem with this sketch was that the way this person was described, this looked like it could have been a bunch of different people. If you look up the sketch, you will see that this guy looks like a very generic looking person, therefore can be mistaken for a lot of different people. So even though they were getting a lot of phone calls from people saying they knew who the guy in the sketch was, it was hard to narrow it down because so many people claim to know different versions of this guy. So let's talk about Mike again. Mike was actually brought in to the police station for questioning where he informed police that he didn't know Chelsea personally, but he did know of her. He also denied police access into his home, which was when police went forward and got a warrant and they got a warrant and went back to his house and searched through the entire thing, however, came up with nothing. Now, even though they weren't completely convinced that Mike didn't have anything to do with it, it was at this time that a new tip came in. Someone had called into the police department to tell police that they should look into a new guy, 19-year-old Harlan Bird. Now, according to Harland, he went to this party with his best friend, and while they were there that night, he said that he saw a girl, a girl who he claimed to be Chelsea. He said he saw Chelsea being pushed and shoved around in between these two guys, and he claimed that these two guys were basically assaulting her, so he decided to intervene and jump in, which is when he said he fought off both of these men and helped Chelsea up from the ground. He told police that because of this, he ended up getting some of Chelsea's blood on his shirt because he had helped her off of the ground. Now, when asked to describe Chelsea, he was was able to do so to a T. He described her perfectly, but something that stood out to authorities is that he didn't describe Chelsea how she was that night in her Poison Ivy costume. He described her as what she looked like on a regular day. Harlan then said he didn't know what to do with Chelsea at that point in the night, so he said that he saw a red pickup truck in the parking lot near where the two of them were at, which he told Chelsea to get in and stay there while he went back to the party to look for her friends. Harlan said when he walked back into the party, he started looking around for anyone who knew Chelsea, and he was doing so for about 5 to 15 minutes. However, after not seeing anyone of her friends, he went back to where the car was, the pickup truck that he put Chelsea in, and that is when he discovered that both the truck and Chelsea were gone. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments 
Stamps.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. All right, you guys, welcome back. Now, from the beginning, authorities had some problems with Harlan's story. They thought it was very possible that he could have had something to do with Chelsea's disappearance and if could have been trying to cover it up by making himself look like the hero in the situation. So they started to press him a little more. They started to ask him if he raped her, if he killed her, or if he hurt her at all, all to which he said no to. And then Harlan started to unravel a little bit. He ended up telling police that this whole entire story that he had just told them was completely made up. He said he never saw Chelsea that night and he was just trying to make himself look good. So because of this, Harlan was then arrested for lying to the authorities. So now we move on to a couple months later in late March and there was a woman who called into the authorities and this woman lived about 2.8 miles away from where Big Mike's party was held and her name is Cheryl Retzloff. Now Cheryl called into the authorities because she said that she was taking her usual walk around her property and she came across a shoe. Cheryl said it wasn't uncommon for her to find objects around her property because a lot of cars drove by her house because she lived on a busy street. But she said that the shoe was a leather flat shoe and that it was red. Cheryl originally threw the shoe in the trash. However, when her husband got home that night, they were having their usual conversations and Cheryl brought up the fact that she had found a shoe on the property. Now, that's when Cheryl's husband brought up the possibility that maybe the shoe could have belonged to Chelsea. Now, at first, she said that she thought that the idea was absolutely absurd. There's no way it could have belonged to Chelsea. It had been months and months since Chelsea disappeared, so how could the shoe have possibly survived all winter? However, Cheryl decided that it was better to be safe than sorry, so she went forward and contacted the authorities about the shoe. Authorities went over to Cheryl's house to pick up the shoe, and the following day, Chelsea's mom was able to confirm that the shoe found on Cheryl's property did in fact belong to Chelsea. So now we digress and move on to a different guy. Now this guy is named Eric and he also lived in Monroe County and Eric often did what was called scrapping. That is what he referred to it as. Scrapping is where you go out and search for items in either bushes or land or anywhere really and look for items that could potentially have value, almost like using a metal detector to find things. Eric said that at the time that he did this, he was in between a rock and a hard place financially. So he went out with a friend one day in March in hopes to find some items worth value, but he never expected to find what he did. Eric and his friend ended up going into an abandoned building. I say building loosely. The roof was completely thrown off and it had no windows or really any stability throughout it. And the building was about 10 miles away from where Big Mike's party was. And according to Eric, when they walked into the building, he discovered what he first thought to be a fake 
plant. He said that it had fake leaves on it. So he decided to pick it up because he thought that it was cool. He said that it looked pretty interesting. However, when he picked it up, he realized that this wasn't a fake plant. However, it was some sort of costume that had sewn on leaves to it. They also said that he found a maroon wig. Now, Eric said that he didn't really know about Chelsea at the time. He didn't know that she was missing, but the wig creeped him out and he didn't want to pick it up, so he just ended up leaving the items there and continued on with his search. Now, about a week after doing his scrapping, Eric said that he ended up seeing a missing persons poster for Chelsea, and the picture that they used in the missing persons poster was Chelsea in her poison ivy costume, and that's when Eric put two and two together and realized that that is the same costume that he had found in the building. Now, at first, Eric was suspicious on whether or not he should report what he found to police. Because Eric had picked up the poison ivy costume, costume, his DNA was on it, which he was afraid authorities would mistake for him possibly having something to do with Chelsea's disappearance. However, Eric went to lunch with his sister during this dilemma and told her about what his hesitations were, and she told him that he had to tell the authorities. She told him that if he wasn't going to do it, she was going to do it. So, he called into the authorities and told them what he had found. Now, when Chelsea's costume was discovered, it was found with the straps and the bottom part of it ripped. And when police got a hold of it, the first thing that they did was bring Eric in for questioning. They said that because of the fact that he just so happened to stumble upon the costume and then waited a week to report it, things just seemed a little off. So, they brought him in for an interview. Now, Eric told authorities that he doesn't know Chelsea and he wasn't at the party that night that she went missing. He also told them that the mother of his kid lived on the same street that Chelsea's shoe was found, coincidentally enough. And Eric's alibi was that he was at home with his daughter that entire weekend of Chelsea's disappearance. He ended up giving up his DNA and fingerprints and was ultimately cleared from having any possible involvement. Now, there was one connection that police made when looking through the building that Chelsea's costume was found at, and that was that the building where the costume was discovered, in the detective's words, was, quote, 200 yards tops from where Harland Bird lived. You could practically see the building from Harland's residence, end quote. Now, remember, Harlan was the guy who said he saved Chelsea that night, that she was getting pushed and shoved by two other guys, and he stepped in to save her and then put her in a truck while he went to go find her friends, and when he came back, the truck and her were both gone. But then the whole thing turned out to be a fake story and a lie to make himself look like a hero. So, because of this coincidence, authorities called Harlan back in for a second interview, and this time, Harlan brought an attorney. Harlan said that even though he had been to the abandoned building before, he had no idea why Chelsea's costume was there, and he was not responsible for them ending up there. Harlan again told the authorities that he made up the story and that he didn't know Chelsea and never saw her that night. Harlan actually agreed to take a polygraph test as well and give up his DNA to prove his innocence, and he actually ended up passing the polygraph test. 
Now, this was kind of confusing for authorities because it looked like Harlan had something to do with this. It looked like he was somewhat responsible. He was inserting himself into the case. Her costume was found in viewing distance of his home. So in a lot of ways, authorities really thought that they figured it out, that Harlan was their guy. So when he passed the polygraph test, even though they aren't a thousand percent accurate, it definitely threw them through a loop. So now we move to April 24th, 2015 in an area that's located about seven miles away from where Big Mike lived. There was a construction site where a man was building a home on a piece of property. So on this particular day, a dump truck pulled up to the property because an area of land needed to be filled. Honestly, I don't know enough about construction to explain what that means, but that's okay because that's not what's important here. What's important here is the fact that when this truck was backing up to start filling up this one spot on the property, the truck got stuck in mud while doing so. So because of this, the truck driver got out of the car and walked behind it to see if he could push the truck out of whatever it was stuck in. Now, when this truck driver was trying to get out of the mud, he discovered a dead body. Now, the property owner is actually the one who immediately called 911 to report that there had been a dead body on his property. He said that the body was a female, she had blonde hair, and thinks that this is the same girl who went missing and who has been posted all over town. Authorities immediately went over to the property, and when that happened, they were able to identify the body of Chelsea Brooke. Chelsea's body had been found covered in logs and branches as if someone had tried to cover it, and nearby where her body was discovered was an artificial leaf, the same one that had been on her costume that night. Authorities said that when they discovered the body, they went to Chelsea's parents' house and broke the news to them because they didn't want them to hear it any other way. And once Chelsea's family heard the news, the media was all over this case. The news that a body had been found was blasted everywhere, and as far as the autopsy results went, the medical examiner concluded that Chelsea's cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. Chelsea also had several facial bones that had been fractured, and Chelsea's parents held a private funeral for her. So now that they had recovered Chelsea's body, the next question was, what happened? Who did this, and why would someone ever want to hurt Chelsea? Now, the day after the body was discovered is when the crime lab called police with results of DNA found on the Poison Ivy costume. The crime lab said that, of course, Chelsea's DNA was found on it. However, there was also another unidentified male's DNA as well. They tried to run the DNA through the database, however, they got no hits there, so police were really stuck on who this unknown DNA could belong to. Police also ran the DNA of both Eric, the man who found the costume, and Harlan, however, both of them were cleared because the DNA did not match. They also tried to see if Big Mike's DNA was on the costume, however, his wasn't a match either. Then, in September 2015, on the property where Chelsea's body was discovered, the contractors were doing more construction work to build that house, and that is when they discovered a red 
shoe. Because they had found a body on the property, they contacted authorities and told them about what they had found, which is when police went down to collect the shoe and were able to confirm that it was the matching pair to the one that had been found by Cheryl just a couple months prior. Not only that, they also found the green tights that Chelsea had been wearing that night with her costume as well. So now police had all of Chelsea's belongings that night, every piece of her costume, as well as Chelsea. However, the one thing they still were stuck on was who her killer was. Then there was a break in the case. Authorities had their eyes set on some guy that was at Big Mike's party that was seemed to have matched the description of who the sketch artist came up with. And at this point, they thought that they really could have found their guy. So they tried to set up a polygraph with him. And on the day of the scheduled polygraph, the DNA lab came back to authorities and told them that they finally got a hit on the DNA that was found on Chelsea's poison ivy costume. They were able to match the DNA on the costume to a man named Daniel Clay. Now, up until this point, authorities hadn't even heard of a Daniel Clay. He had not been on the police's radar at all throughout this entire investigation. They had no idea who he was. And after looking into Daniel Clay, they were able to figure out that he was an unemployed guy who didn't really have a permanent address. He just kind of lived with whoever he was dating at the time. He had several children as well, and the reason that they were able to match the DNA was because Daniel had actually gotten arrested for a minor unrelated charge. And with the new laws that had been recently put in place in Michigan, anyone who gets arrested has their DNA taken, and that's how they were able to get the match. At the time that authorities figured out who Daniel was, they also figured out that he had two warrants out for his arrest for unpaid child support. So that is how they were able to arrest him, and their plan was to arrest him for the unpaid child support and not tell him anything about him being questioned for Chelsea's murder until after he was arrested in July of 2016. Now, once they arrested Daniel and they started their interrogation process, they started to ask him about Big Mike's 2014 Halloween party. And according to Daniel, he said that he did attend the party. However, he got there at about 8 or 9 p.m. and was gone by 10 or 11. He told authorities that he didn't know Chelsea, he had never seen her before, and Daniel described himself to police as a very peaceful guy. He said that he didn't like violence and all he liked was smoking weed and having sex. That is a literal quote from Daniel. Investigators eventually broke the news to Daniel during his interrogation that his DNA had been found on Chelsea's costume. And this is when his story changed. Once Daniel was told that his DNA was found on the costume, he ended up telling police that he did have sex with someone that night, but he doesn't know who it was. So it could have been Chelsea. Daniel insisted that the two of them had consensual sex and that Chelsea was completely fine when he left her. Now, the investigators knew that they needed to do something to get Daniel to start talking because clearly he wasn't just going to openly admit to having something to do with it. So this is when the detective interviewing Daniel made up a story that Chelsea had brittle bone disease and that her bones are easily broken. So if something did happen, it was most likely an accident, which wouldn't make him a murderer. And this is when Daniel told a different story. 
Daniel's news story was that he was driving home alongside of the road from the party and saw Chelsea walking on the street alone. He ended up pulling over and asked if she wanted to ride home, to which she agreed to. This is when Daniel said that Chelsea got in his car and the two of them ended up having consensual sex. Daniel said things started heating up and Chelsea asked Daniel to choke her, which he said he did. However, Daniel said at some point, something happened and Chelsea just stopped breathing. Now, Daniel made it very clear to authorities that he has had girlfriends who enjoyed being choked in the past, so he, quote, knows how to do it. However, he blamed her brittle bone disease on having an effect here. Now, instead of going to the hospital, Daniel said that he attempted CPR, but after realizing it wasn't working, he then drugged Chelsea, put her in the back of his truck, and brought her to where her body was eventually discovered. Now, Daniel insists that he didn't know how her costume got to the abandoned building that was found five miles away. That's always been something that he has completely stuck to, that he does not know how her costume got to be five miles away from where her body was discovered. Now, authorities don't believe that. They believe that he does know how the costume got there and he just doesn't want to admit it. However, after admitting to police what he had done, Daniel was arrested for Chelsea's murder. And before being booked, he ended up calling the mother of one of his kids and told her that he was going to jail for a long time. And what's crazy here is that the mother of Daniel's kid was actually a co-worker of Chelsea and Becky's. She also worked at Olga's restaurant. So the connection there is pretty wild. So when Daniel was arrested for murder, he actually pled not guilty, claiming that he didn't mean to kill Chelsea. So they ended up going to trial. Now the prosecution said that because there were no eyewitnesses, the only person that really knows what happened that night is Daniel Clay. They also said that the circumstances, Chelsea not being alone, not having a phone, not having a ride, and it being cold outside could have led her to asking Daniel for a ride home or accepting one if he offered. However, what happened after that is unknown. Now, the prosecution argued that Daniel, when offering Chelsea a ride, had probably made advances towards Chelsea, to which she rejected, which ultimately led Daniel to snapping and killing her. Now, again, the defense was arguing that this was all an accident, that Daniel choked Chelsea at her request for 20 to 30 seconds, and then she just died. Now, the medical examiner actually took the stand at the trial and said that it was impossible for Chelsea to have passed away from choking in just 20 to 30 seconds. She said the process takes much longer than that. It usually takes two and a half to three minutes of constant pressure to choke someone to death. Then, on May 16, 2017, after only a couple hours of deliberation, Daniel Clay was found guilty of first-degree murder. And then on July 13th, 2017, Daniel was sentenced to life in prison. Chelsea's mom ended up speaking at the sentencing where she said that she forgave Daniel for what he did because if she didn't forgive him, it would ruin the rest of her life. However, even though she forgives, she will never be able to forget what he did. She also gifted Daniel with a Bible and said that she hoped that he would be able to bring Jesus into his life. 
Daniel again apologized to Chelsea's family and said that he didn't know why he did what he did. He didn't understand it and he wished it didn't happen. He said that he would take the Bible with him and keep it as long as he could and profusely apologized over and over again. So that is the case of Chelsea Brooke. It has a lot of twists and turns, but ultimately, I'm just glad that Chelsea and her family got the justice that they deserved. So I hope you guys enjoyed the fourth episode of Halloween. I thought this episode was very fitting considering it was a Halloween murder. So let me know what you guys think. And with that being said, you guys, that is all from me today. I will be back tomorrow for the last episode of Halloween. Again, make sure you guys subscribe. That way you're always notified whenever we post. Other than Halloween, we post every single Wednesday here and you are not going to want to miss it. So thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. I'll see you guys tomorrow and until then, stay safe.